All right, good morning, Dayspring. My name is Phil Weaver and I represent your board of seven, uh, seven men. I won't take the time to introduce them today, but the whole point is this being November 10th, the date we've long awaited for, it's a thrill for us and it's my honor to represent the board in introducing our candidate today, Pastor Cody Winkler, who will come to the stage and speak, and his wife, Deborah. Please stand, Deborah. Meet the, meet the Winklers. Thank you. Come on, let's give some praise to Jesus while we're up on our feet. Can we do that? I mean, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Come on, Day Spring. You can do a little bit better than that. Let's get a little bit rowdy this morning for Jesus Christ. He's so worthy of all of our praise. Hallelujah. God, you're so good. Go ahead and be seated. Well, you look good. You look good this morning. I want to just take a moment before we go ahead and get started in here. If we could just recognize our veterans this morning. My grandfather was a veteran, and I want to take the opportunity to say thank you to the veterans. So if you're a veteran, would you stand up so that we can say thank you this morning, just right where you're at. Can we honor our veterans this morning? Thank you so much for your service. Thank you. Well, I guess that I better introduce my family to you. They're all not here for, uh, for our own health and safety. <laughs> You've met Deborah. She is my wife. We have four kids. There they are on the screen. That's our tribe. Josiah is in the glasses. He's 11. To the right of him is Joshua. He is 10. Down one step is Lucy. She is 8. Charlotte is the one in the crevice of the rock waiting for the Lord's presence to pass. She is 5 going on 25. And they are, uh, they are awesome kiddos. I tell you how competitive they are, Pastor Bill. They would have tipped the favor and scale of the boys in giving. So if you could extend that one week, Pastor Mickey, I'm sure they could find a couple thousand dollars from their grandpa today. <laughs> no, no, no. They'll hold it off to a competition. So they'll wait till next year, Lord willing. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Mark, and we'll be in uh, chapter 5, and we'll start in verse 21. We've got a lot of reading to do today. Normally, I'd have you stand to honor the reading of the Lord's Word, but anytime it's more than 10 verses, I don't do that just for your knees and my, uh, my readability. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 5, and we'll start in verse 21. And I want to talk with you for a couple of minutes this morning around the idea of the atmosphere for a miracle. The atmosphere for a miracle. How many would say that they need, need a miracle or know someone that needs a miracle? Yeah. I want to talk with you. This story has is, is got a good perspective on what the atmosphere for a miracle really looks like. Now, as we get going in this thing, you have to understand that I get really excited when I'm talking about Jesus. So I'm going to yell just a little bit. I'm not mad at you. I'm just excited. I'm going to use most of the stage if I can this morning. Uh, so I tell people, just buckle your seatbelt and be along for the ride. You need to know that this is just who I am. This is not a presentation today. I feel like God has a word for Dayspring Church, and he's given it to me to give this morning. And I'm so honored to be here with you this morning. So uh, let's read Mark chapter 5, verse 21. If you've got it, say, I got it. I got it. 
If you don't, just read along with your neighbor or on the screen. It says this, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude had gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and and thronged or pressed around him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. She had suffered many things by many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and, and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out from him, turned around to the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, "Ah, you see the crowd, don't you? Come on, Jesus, there's a multitude thronging around you right now, and you're asking, who touched me? He looked around to see who had done such a thing. But the woman, fearing, trembling, knowing what, she had, what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. I'm glad they used tact there, aren't you? Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. He permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept, wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. They ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child, and those who were with him entered into the, where the child was laying. Then he ch- took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose, walked, for she was 12 years of age, And they were overcame with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that they should tell nobody of it and said that they should get the girl something to eat. How many of you know that when you're raised from the dead, you're hungry? (laughs) Right? Well, let's pray and ask God would speak through his word this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you for this word, Lord. We pray that you have set now the atmosphere for miracles to happen in this house. God, we wait with expectancy. Holy Spirit, use these words to penetrate even the hardest of heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I love this story. I love it for many reasons, but I I particularly love it because it just shows a little bit of the attitude that Jesus walked in. And I wanna get to that, uh, but we gotta kinda dive into the story and pull out a couple of things. So let's talk about what drives the atmosphere for a miracle. Did you know that in order to need a miracle, or to to get a miracle, there has to be a need for a miracle. You can't have a miracle when everything's just going right. 
there would be no need for a miracle. If you look and all throughout the Bible, what you see is you see that there are people who receive miracles only when the need for a miracle has been present. And so the atmosphere for a miracle involves a lot of pressure. If you think about pressure, it's not really fun to be in, is it? We just recently flew because our kids really wanted to get on an airplane. So we, we were going to a wedding in Texas. We unloaded all of our Southwest points and we flew to Texas so that we could go to this wedding. And, and they were so excited to get on this airplane because they wanted to get their Coke and their pretzels. They were disappointed that they didn't serve peanuts anymore. Uh, apparently there's a lot of allergies to those things and it's deadly. So they don't do that. So they get on the plane. It's 5.30 in the morning. They've been up since 2 and they want a Coke. 5.30 in the morning. I'm like, okay, well, I mean, if you want a Coke, I'm going to take a nap. So you guys uh, enjoy your Coke. We get into the air, and we're going in to land in Dallas. And what happens when you begin to land? Pressure change. Oh, my son, my son, my son, Joshua, he was not excited about the pressure change. He was curled up in a little ball, rocking back and forth. And I was like, oh, how's that Coke now, buddy? You see, we only say that God is a good, good father. I'm not sometimes. Sometimes I like to poke at him a little bit. I'm like, oh, your ears hurt, don't they? Oh, let's ride on an airplane now. Yeah, that feels good. This is the most expensive point I'm trying to make in his little life right now. So I'm telling him, look, put some gum in your mouth, chew. And we land, and the pressure's still there. He's like, Dad, I can't hear anything. And I'm like, I've known that for a couple of years now, because every time I ask you to do something, it doesn't get done. So we're just now on the same page. I appreciate that, son. We go a little bit longer. He's like, his eyes get big. He said, Dad, it's a miracle. I can hear again. We're like, hey, miracles require pressure, don't they? Maybe we're in the circumstance or situation we're in, not because God's mad at us, but because he's about to do something amazing in us. Maybe we just got our eyes on the wrong thing. We're looking at the pressure instead of the outcome that the pressure is about to produce. You all know how a diamond is made, correct? A lot of pressure with a lot of time. Sometimes we get frustrated with the process of a miracle. And so we allow the atmosphere to shift and the miracle never takes place because we're uncomfortable with the present, uh, pressure. Look at this man Jairus. We know his name because he was an official of the synagogue. This, this guy was something in the community. He was a man of stature, of status, of clout, if you will. Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, wouldn't go up to a man like Jesus who was a little bit of a, 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 an interesting character in this ancient uh, Jewish uh, uh, society. See, Jesus was loved by some and hated by some. And so Jairus, we don't know what kind of synagogue official he was. See, there was two parties. There was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And we don't understand because it doesn't tell us what side of the aisle that he was on. See, even in ancient Jewish timelines we had democrats and republicans i'll let it land i'll let it land so we don't know which side of the aisle jairus uh, sat on but we do know that he was in a desperate need for a miracle because his daughter of 12 years old was on her deathbed so what does he do he hears that jesus is on his way into town and he runs and beats the crowd to Jesus and he falls at his feet as a sign of humility. See, a man of stature like Jairus doesn't just present himself at anybody's feet. So when he presents himself at Jesus' feet, I think that the crowd would probably have taken a step back and known that Jairus needed something from Jesus 
desperately. See, there is something about desperation that drives us to access Jesus differently so that the world around us takes notice. And this is what Jairus was doing. He was acting in desperation coming to Jesus. Jesus, my daughter is sick, and if you come to my house and you put your hands on her, I know that she'll be made well. Now, I want you to see how, Jesus, how Jairus interacted with Jesus. When he interacted with Jesus, he says, if you come to my house, you put your hands on her, and she'll be healed. Just put a book note right there. We're going to come to that later. And Jesus obliges because he sees the faith of Jairus, and the faith of Jairus motivates the action of Jesus. See, the pressure got Jairus to Jesus' feet, but his faith motivated Jesus into action. And on his way, it says that a crowd is violently pressing around him. It's kind of like if you have candy in children's ministry. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you get thronged violently for that candy. So Jesus is getting pushed and pushed and pushed. And it says, now there is a certain woman. It's an interesting language that's used here when we talk about this woman that goes to touch Jesus because it doesn't say her by name. It doesn't say that there is a woman. It says, now there is a certain woman. What we would call her in our society today is we would call her that woman. That woman touched the hem of Jesus. Now a certain woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years sees Jesus and thinks to herself, if I touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Now this woman had been dealing with this issue for quite some time. And she had exhausted all of her resources to physicians that didn't make her any better. They only made her grow worse. Now according to Leviticus 15, there is a ceremonial law that talks about uh, dealing with blood and how people who have an issue of blood or are engaged in blood or touch blood are therefore ceremonially unclean and not fit to serve an active part of society. So this woman for 12 years has been a rejected outcast to society known as a certain woman. It wasn't that she wasn't known, it's that she was really known. This is the woman that if she walks into the room, the room clears out pretty quickly. It's a woman that this crowd has walked by day after day for 12 years. It's the woman that Jairus himself as a synagogue leader has not engaged with because it would make him unclean. But this woman on this day seizes her opportunity to get a healing from Jesus that Jesus doesn't even know is coming. I don't know about you, but I love a moment where I can steal a miracle where I find an opportunity where Jesus opens a, a window and I can just touch the hem of his cloak and I get healed without having to make a big ordeal out of it. So this woman, she sees that Jesus is coming and seizes her opportunity. It says that she's saying to herself, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. See, it was the pressure that caused her to change her atmosphere so she could engage in her miracle, but it was her perspective that kept her eye on the miracle. If only I may touch his cloak, I will be made well. The language that is used here in the Greek suggests that she is chanting this to herself as she makes her way through the crowd. Could you imagine being part of the crowd and this woman touches you and it's that woman that has just now touched you. And you're sitting there trying to get to Jesus and that woman touches you and all of a sudden now you are ceremonially unclean. What are you going to try to do to that woman? Does anybody here play basketball? This would be the epitome of the box out drill. It said we get wide and we put our booty into it just a little bit. 
We're going to block her access to Jesus. But this woman did not look at the world around her or the circumstance that was crowding into her. She said, if only I can touch Jesus, I will be made well. Her perspective drove her forward regardless of what the circumstance was trying to do to her. And I wonder if sometimes we miss the atmosphere for our miracle because our perspective stops the pursuit. If you're walking in a jungle... All you see are leaves in front of you. You don't know what step to take in front of you because you don't know if a snake's going to come out or a jaguar or a panther or a monkey or a spider. I do not like jungles in the name of Jesus. (laughs) If you're in there, you don't see the next step in front of you, so you walk like you can't see. You walk with a little bit of fear and trembling. But if you were to take yourself and elevate yourself up to the tallest tree and be able to see through the jungle to where you're going, you would walk with a little bit more precision and a little bit more faith. And I wonder if some of us are just in circumstances right now that feel like walking through a jungle and so we don't feel the atmosphere of a miracle because we don't see the progress of the miracle. But this woman didn't need to see anything. She just needed to remind herself of what she was about that day. If I only touch him, I will be made well. If I only touch him, I will be made well. And sure enough, the girlfriend goes up and touches the hem of Jesus. And is what? Made well instantly. Perspective is powerful in setting the atmosphere for your miracle. Some of us are too busy talking to our mountains, or talking to God about how big our mountains are. Oh God, look at this mountain in front of me. It's a checkbook. There's way more month than there is money. Father, look at my marriage. It's in shambles right now. God, this healing I need in front of me, this disease, this this diagnosis from the doctor is too big for me. Now, what if we flip the script on that dialogue right there and started talking to our mountains about how big our God is? Hey, guess what, checkbook? God said that he will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. It says that he owns the cattle of a thousand hill, so I'm asking him to have a barbecue for me today and sell some of that meat to pay for these bills. It says that my marriage is in shambles, but God can come through and he can button things up in the name of Jesus. I got a diagnosis, and I know that there's a difference between fact and truth. So you're telling me something, doctor, but God's word tells me that he sent his word and he healed them. So I'm going to stand on his word, and I'm not going to stand on your diagnosis. I wonder if our perspective needs to change a little bit. And we need to recite to ourselves, if only I get to Jesus, the situation will change. I'm no longer going to let the pressure of the need outshout the victory in front of me. No longer. So she gets healed and Jesus stops the crowd and says, who touched me? And Peter's like, you know, he's, he's real tactful. Peter's like, okay, here we go again. All right, Jesus. I don't know if I have to explain this, but when we lean against you, we touch you. It's like the whole crowd is touching you. What do you need? And Jesus is like, no, 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 this this one was different. When this one touched me, I felt a power come out from me. And just like the woman was saying, if only I touch Jesus, I must be healed. That same kind of diction, that same kind of rhythm, that same kind of pursuit is the same word that's used when it says, and Jesus looked through the crowd aggressively to find her. The pursuit that she used to get to Jesus is the pursuit that he used to find out who she was. So he's looking for her, and then he finds her. And says She came up with fear and trembling, and, and she fell at his feet. And, and what did she do? She told him the whole truth. 
She told him everything. And Jesus gets down. This isn't in the script, but I like to think it was because of the words that he uses. He gets down, and it's this woman. It's this certain woman. It's the woman you don't touch. And he gets down, and he takes her little chin, and he raises it up, and he says, Daughter, look at that. How do you go from being a certain woman to society to being a daughter of the king by one act of faith? And he says, Daughter, today you're made whole. What does Jesus do in that moment? Jesus did what Leviticus 15 couldn't do for this woman. Because her issue was a public issue, her healing needed to be a public healing. You see, she was an outcast to society. She was, she was pushed over here. She was a certain woman. But now he's saying, no, you're not a certain woman anymore. You're my daughter. And let me just let all of this crowd here know, y'all walked by this woman right here too many times now. No longer are we going to walk by my kids. Do you understand me? All of this crowd, this woman is now made right in this society. So when you see her on the street, you know who she belongs to. You know where she walks in. You know she She's been made whole. I think I came to tell somebody today, you felt walked by most of your life. You felt like you were that person and you've been dealing with this issue for this many years and, and you have put yourself in this pattern that, that it feels uncomfortable for you to be in these pews, but you show up day after day, week after week, and God would have you know today by the power of the Holy Spirit that he's taking you by your little chin and you saying, if you would just touch me, you would get to hear me say that you're my child. You'd get to hear me say that you're my son or my daughter, that there's no condemnation when you're in me, that the looks that you think you're getting aren't looks that you're getting at all, but this is a place of safety and refuge where your issues can be made whole. Perspective shifts the atmosphere of a miracle. Now look at this. As soon as that happens, as soon as it happens, somebody from Jairus' house comes up and says, your daughter's dead, don't bother the teacher any longer. Now I want you to remember, remember we bookmarked that one little thing that he said about Jesus. Jesus, if you would come and lay your hands on my daughter, she would be healed. And they said, now don't bother the teacher any longer. Your daughter's already dead. And what does Jesus say to Jairus in that moment? He says that he perceives what's being discussed. And he says, hey, we're still going. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. Don't be afraid. Simply believe. Here's what I think Jesus would say if he was at Starbucks talking with Jairus. Jairus, when you came to me, you came to me as healer. So when it didn't go your way, don't come to me as teacher. If you're going to come to me as healer, you better stay with me as healer. And don't pivot when it doesn't go your way. See, it's not asking for the miracle that's the hard part. It's waiting for the miracle that's the hard part. So what happens when the miracle doesn't happen, the timing that you think it should happen in, is something called disappointment and discouragement. Disappointment simply means being late or dislodged from an appointment means that it didn't happen in the appointed time you were hoping for but it doesn't mean it's not happening in the appointed time that God mandated it for and so we have to check our disappointments up to God's word to set the atmosphere for a miracle and as soon as disappointment comes in the enemy comes in and says see I told you it wasn't for you I told you that this would happen I told you that somebody else would get their miracle, but you wouldn't get your miracle. I told you not to believe, and Jesus could perceive that. 
And says, yes, I am teacher, but I also am healer. Teacher is what I do. Healer is who I am. So if you come to me as healer, you better bet your boots that I'm coming to you as healer. And so don't come to me as teacher when I've already presented to you as healer. But the promise is what keeps us forward thinking when our perspective gets checked a little bit, isn't it? The promise. When my son Josiah was learning how to potty train, we were on a rewards-based system. Uh, with Joshua, that didn't work, so we had to do a discipline-based system, which meant every time he didn't go potty, I sprayed him with a water hose. And he thought it was a game, so he just continued to not go potty. So... The reward incentive worked a lot better. So what, well, you know, what we did, if you go potty in the potty, then you get some M&Ms, right? So if you go whatever, number one, you get one. If you go number two, you get two, okay? So he was, man, he's all for it because he likes the, man, he likes the reward system. So he does, the, he goes potty. It was good. It was kind of later at night. We just got home from church and, and he goes potty and, and we put him to bed and pray for him. And I'm like, oh, Deborah, you forgot his chocolate. And she's like, oh, it's fine. He's tired. He's not going to remember. And so we're, we're sitting in our room, and we're talking and, and probably watching TV. Uh, and uh, all of a sudden, we hear this knock on the door. Boom, 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 boom. And we're like, what? He's like, hey, give me my chocolate. <laughs> we're like, okay, he remembers. He remembers. He remembers the promise. And so he has no problem of interrupting the father because he remembers the promise. We have to remember the promise that we have from God, from Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we are able to go and ask the king for a cup of cold water. We can go right to the throne room of God, knock on the door and say, hey, give me my chocolate. Because there's a promise. Now what does the enemy like to do? Still kill and destroy. So he wants to rob us from our promise. But it is the promise that allows the atmosphere to stay the atmosphere so the miracle can happen. And so we have to stay connected to the promise. Now I want you to see this. Because it says that Jesus walked into the house. And it says that there was this loud professional criers that were there. Oh, Jesus dead. I mean they weren't even real. They were like Facebook friends. They didn't care. And all of a sudden, Jesus walks in and says, hey, 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 what's all this commotion? And they said, the girl's dead. He said, she's not dead. She is asleep. And it says that when they heard him say those words, they mocked and they ridiculed him. See, what Jesus was saying is he was engaging his word to the promise that if she is just asleep, it means that this girl is going to wake up again. He is giving a promise in that moment. And the people that don't understand the promise will always ridicule, ridicule, that's good. Mock the promise. Always. So what does Jesus do? Ah, get out. Get out. See, we thought that Jesus was a kind dude. But he drove people out with a whip from the temple. So when he said get out, I bet people listened to him. I don't think it was like, hey, you know what? You're offending the atmosphere here. Could you please exit the door? I think he was like, hey, get out. Get out. You know, I don't know if it's like that, but you can read into it. And some of us are looking for something to get up, but Jesus is waiting for us to yell at something else to get out. We've got competing things going on in our heart, in our life, when we need a miracle and we think that it's dead and Jesus says it's sleeping and the enemy says, ha, 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 ha. And we allow that to stay for a little bit. It's going to limit the potential of the miracle that can be released because our faith is going to lock to the mocking. And so we have to say, ah, time out, get out. Look at your neighbor. No, don't do that. Don't look at your neighbor and tell them to get out. Unless they're going to go vote, then they can get out. 
says that he kicked them all out, took the girl by the hand, and she awoke. And he says, hey, excuse me, excuse me. Don't tell anybody about this. Now, I don't know about you, but if I witness a 12-year-old little girl raising from the dead, I'm telling everybody. That's on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat. It's on all of the platforms. I'm going to call my grandma, my mom, my dad, my aunt. It doesn't matter. But Jesus tells me, don't, don't tell anybody about this. I'm telling everybody about it. And then he says something that I love. Get the girl some food. Now, I don't know about you, but I think she probably ate Chick-fil-A. I just think that's probably what she ate. I think it's the Christian chicken. I just think she wanted a number one with a side of sweet tea. I just think that's probably what she ate. It's not in the text, but you can read that in for yourself. Okay, but the interesting thing is, in a narrative story like this, you have to see if there's common themes. Because the common themes are trying to say something about the point of the story. And Luke, or Mark goes on to make a point here that the girl was 12 years old and that the woman had an issue of blood for 12 years. That means that when the woman got sick, the opportunity for her healing was born. And at the girl's death, the intersection of that opportunity was realized. 12 years this girl was lived. 12 years this woman had been with an issue of blood. Unlikely stories connecting is what Jesus is all about. There's another man, maybe you know him, his name is Jesus, that at his birth, an opportunity for salvation was born. And at his death, the intersection of that opportunity was made realized. There is something in this story that points us to Jesus, that death does not matter to him, but it looks at death as an opportunity for a resurrection of a miracle. See, the atmosphere of a miracle directly aligns with the depth of our faith. What are we looking at when we truly need a miracle. Now I know that there's people in the room today and I'm going to ask you in a few moments to respond to this, but you are like this woman, that certain woman with an issue of blood and I already said this, that you feel like maybe you've been walked past. Maybe Jesus has, has spent his time focusing on somebody else. Maybe, maybe you've watched other people get their healing and you just have come to, come to terms with the idea that this is just who I am and what I have to live with. But Jesus today wants to reframe your identity around his promise. You are not a certain man, you are not a certain woman, but you are a child of the King of the God Most High. He wants to reestablish the atmosphere of faith for a miracle today. He wants to remind us that pressure is needed. For a miracle to take place, there needs to be a need for a miracle. For a miracle to take place, we have to have the right perspective for the miracle. And for a miracle to take place, we better have the promise of the miracle in the forefront of our heart. Because the enemy is savvy, right? He knows what to say, how to say it to us to kind of knock us off our game. And that's when we bring the promise up and remind him that we have a good father who has done everything for us. That at his birth was an opportunity for great things, but at his death was the intersection of that opportunity. But you see, we serve a God that didn't stay dead. He went into the grave, conquered death, hell, and a grave, and then rose again on the third day, bringing life and life more everlasting. All we have to do is believe in Jesus to receive everything that he has for us. And all we have to do is approach him as healer so that we can appropriate what the word of God says is rightfully ours. You know, Isaiah tells us that two things happened because of Jesus' bruises and his beatings, that our iniquities and our transgressions were both taken care of. It means that our sins were dealt with and our physical needs as well. 
the healing is not if thy will it Lord the healing is already purchased by the blood the miracle then happens when our perspective lines up with the power of the promise and so I would ask you today if you need a miracle see where your perspective lies and set the atmosphere right will you close your uh, eyes and bow your heads with me this morning I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward as, as we go into a time of worship and ministry and I know that there are miracles that are needed in the room but the greatest miracle is salvation and maybe I'm up here today and you've been thinking like you've been look past You've never heard this Jesus thing presented this way, and you're like, man, I want to give that a try. I want to go all in with Jesus. You've never made Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior. Will you just raise your hand today? I want to say a prayer with you this morning. If there's anybody in the room at all, I'm going to leave it up just a little bit longer. Maybe you're in this room and you need a miracle desperately. Your finances are in shambles. Your, your body has got diagnoses on it. Your marriage is a, has, been, has been in a hard spot for a long time. Your job or your career is in a, in a tight spot. Things are going on at school that you don't understand. You just can't put it together. You need God to move in a real and powerful way. I want to say a prayer over you. We're going to go into a song. And if you need prayer to set the atmosphere for your miracle differently, we're going to invite you forward as we sing this song. But let me just pray a prayer over you. If you need a miracle, will you just raise your hand so I can pray with you today? Thank you. Hands going up all over. Father, I thank you that you're the God of miracles. Father, that your word, you says you sent your word and you healed them. And so, Father, I ask right now that you would send your word right now, your healing power of the blood of Jesus into this room, that, that miracles would begin to change. Father, that you would set this place as an atmosphere for miracles, that faith would rise up right now, God, that, that, that we, we speak to things like cancer and we evict them right now in the name of Jesus. God, we speak to financial situations and we thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh, God, our provider, and we... We say that those uh, financial situations be gone in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you are for marriage. And if there is a, a marriage issue in this room, Father, if there's been communication issues or infidelity issues, Lord, we pray that your healing power would hit that marriage right now in the name of Jesus. God, you are our healer. Align our perspective to your promise so that we can set the right atmosphere in Jesus' name. Will you stand?